It's Freddie Youngberg again. Push out by Bartes. Hello and welcome back to the show. Now, I know some of you have been wondering why we've not been releasing World Cup content up until now. And the truth is that we were taking a well-deserved break. I can't speak for my colleagues, but I have been sitting in the garden, sipping on cold beers, topping up my tan whilst enjoying the tournament. Certainly been entertaining so far. And when it comes to international football, I guess that's all you can ask for, really, isn't it? Joining me today, our football writer, Harry DeCosimo. Harry, welcome back to the show, mate. How have you been keeping? Hi, uh, uh, thanks very much for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm very good, thanks. Good stuff, good stuff. And of course, our second guest this week is refereeing royalty, a top-level official with over 40 years' experience. Also, he was the general manager of the PGMOL, and he's a great friend of the show. It's none other than the brilliant Keith Hackett. Keith, welcome back. How have you enjoyed your summer so far? Uh, delighted to be on and uh, really enjoyed my summer when there's plenty of football to watch that's right <laughs> that's all we can ask for isn't it <laughs> plenty of football yeah absolutely now the biggest talking point at this summer's finals up until now has been the use of var and its implementation harry first of all from a fan's perspective have you been happy with its use so far um i've, I've changed my mind three or four times um after the Portugal game the other night, I wasn't a big fan. But after last night and seeing the, uh, I was covering the uh, the Switzerland game um, and various other different incidents across the thing. I think I do, I do overall, I do agree with it. And I think I've, I've, the, the the general opinion I have is that VAR is is something that needs to be used correctly. And if it isn't being used correctly, the problem is with the referee rather than the mm. uh, and the officials rather than the actual system itself. Yeah, I'm completely in agreement. And I know, Keith, we spoke briefly a couple of days ago. Um, and what are your thoughts on how the tool's been utilised up until now? Well, I, I think the observations are accurate. I think that uh, what we've seen is we've seen some very good use of VAR and we've seen some very, very bad use of VAR. And, and that, for me, is because the referees and the VARs are getting used to the system it's still in its development stage, even though we're at a World Cup, uh, which is amazing. But I think that uh, part of that is down to the fact that, one, we've got to build a relationship between the referee and the VAR. And the VAR has got to operate to the very clear and precise criteria that's laid down. I'll give you an example. In the hurricane uh wrestling to the ground, that first England game, which still lingers strongly in my mind. We saw Kane on two occasions wrestled. No one had any doubt that, that a penalty kick should have been awarded. It was a serious and obvious error by the referee not to award the penalty kick. There was no involvement with the VAR. So absolutely and totally disappointed that the VAR didn't come in. And, and even I, as the strongest supporter of VAR, I think, is beginning to question, just a minute, have you trained these guys enough? And I don't think they have. And then we've seen other instances where VAR comes in, 
uh, and takes away a good decision by the referee. So we had the other night, we had a referee correctly not awarding a penalty kick for handball. Now, this has happened twice. The Australia game yeah. was much the same, where the ball hits the arm or, or hand of the, pl- of the player. Um, the referee's not awarded the, the, the penalty kick correctly in law. He then goes and he's put under pressure by the VAR committee. And I'm actually saying VAR committee now because, remember, we've got a VAR, we've got a VAR1 who's helping him, we've got an, a VAR2 who sits between those two and a VAR3 who's looking at two cameras that are theirs watching offside. And... And watching some of the clips, you see a discussion taking place. And going, well, if that level of discussion has to take place, it's not a serious and obvious error. Why involve the referee? But we had a referee come across Casillas, put himself under pressure, um, and then, having not awarded a penalty kick, goes back and incorrectly awards a penalty kick for handball. It was, at this level, ludicrous. Uh, I can't... And it should never happen. Um, you know, the law on handball is a big, always a big discussion in, in uh, the media. With fans, spectators, uh, they come across me almost on a daily basis. But the, the, I'm going on a bit. The criteria is pretty simple. The, the hand has to move towards the ball. And it has to be a deliberate act. And if the, if the player happens to have his arm in a, in a, a position that's giving him elevation. The referee's got to make the judgment. And on these easy judgments, um, I can't understand why world-class referees, because that's what the VAR is, and the world-class referee make such a basic error in law. But this is the thing, Keith, though. Is is there not an argument that some of these referees, and, and Harry, I'd like you to come in on this one as well, is there an argument that some of these referees that come from certain countries, and I'm not being disrespectful to any leagues or anything like that, but that some of these officials maybe are not world-class? Harry, would you agree with that, or do you think I'm being a bit overly critical? Uh, some of them have, have been pretty poor. Um, I'm thinking of the, uh, was the, the Egyptian referee that, that I think someone, I can't remember the details, mm. there was one... Uh, I think it was an Egyptian referee that someone had actually complained about. I think, uh, and I think it might have even been the one that didn't give the Harry Kane penalty. Um, yes. And then, he, and then he was, and then he made another error in the next game as well. So there has been a, a poor standard. I think this was the problem in the when it was being tested in in the Capital One Cup or the Carabao Cup last year. Um, the referees just weren't up to the standard, and and I'm I think I am on on side with VAR, but the, but to Make it a test in the biggest competition on on in football is very is very sort of naive. Maybe maybe they could have given it a couple more years and, and maybe put, introduce it in the Euros or make, like the African Cup of Nations next year, um, rather than making it um, than t- taking these these referees. That I, I agree, a lot of them aren't aren't as good as as some previous referees, and and making them. And making them go over the go over the system, it, it it does seem a bit silly that they've really gone in for it this this early. Yeah, I mean, I think the frustrating yeah, thing I, for me. I, go on, Keith. Sorry. 
Yeah, I, th- I think I think there's logic in that argument. Um, I think that uh, what we've found, for example, in America, where it has worked quite well under the guidance of Harry, uh, Howard Webb, the former uh, English referee, who's now in charge of pro referees in America. And what they did was they they operated for half a season, every game. To, everybody was told it's an experiment. The players, the managers, the coaches were all involved in the process. And the referees got used to dealing with the VARs who were colleagues. So there was then an interrogation after every game in terms of how it had worked, how it needed to improve. And now that's full-time on the system. We're a little bit, if you like, behind the the ball in in relation to VAR because what we saw in, in England last year was an abject failure. Um, you know, for anybody in sport, and this includes referees, to improve their performances, you've got to be doing it week in, week out. And in, in the English league, if you like, the league, the cup, where it was used, we had guys coming in fresh to it, not having done it before, the referee. And one week we didn't have it, the following week we didn't have it, and then we might have it in the cup. And so we didn't have a good system in England to actually show how it can work. I go back to the basics, and that is that we—it hasn't happened yet. But we've had the Maradona in the past, the handball. We obviously had Lampard's goal that went miles over the line. Well, we've got goal-line technology now covering that, and that works superbly. What we've got to do is we've just got to get these guys adequately trained, used to having the VAR. And can I say one thing? The referee has got to understand that he's still in control. And if the VAR is telling him something and he disagrees, then he goes, the referee, with his, with his own instinct. And we've seen that. We've seen that from the Argentinian referee who, who had the opening game, Mr. Pitana, and then last, yesterday had the Mexico-Sweden game where he's got used to and knows how to use VAR. And, you know, he's clearly um, from Argentina, a referee who has to deal week in, week out with difficult games, and he's coping comfortably. Our top referee, Kunye uh, Kafka, uh, yeah. Nigeria-Argentina, difficult game, he's, he's operated with VAR and, and looked comfortable, came through the game without any problems. Yeah. So I think VAR is, is the topic but I think there's another topic with that, just moving on slightly from there, and that is, I do think we're seeing a lot of dissent. I do think we're seeing players surrounding the referee when there is a, a debatable decision and VAR is going to be used. And the authorities said quite clearly, if they were surrounded or people were making signals, go and look at the VAR, they would be given a yellow card. And I've not seen one given yet for that. Yeah, it's a bit like the diving thing, isn't it? When players, or sorry, when players wave yep. a, a, an imaginary yellow card to try and sort of get the referee yep. to dish one out, it the, it should be a booking. And I think the only way we're going to cut that out is if we start, if referees start implementing that, because it, it, it's no good sort of letting players get it get away with it week in week out, because it will just continue. Yeah. It will become worse and yeah. worse. I think the frustrating thing for me that I've seen at this World Cup and. 
as you know, Keith, from conversations we've had in the past, I've been a massive advocate of VAR. I'm desperate to see it come in. I'm desperate to mm. see it work right. Um, yeah. But what's frustrated me is is when we've seen, as you said, a decision that has been correct, and then it's gone to the VAR, mm. and then they've overturned it, and the referee's sort of gone back against himself. Now, where I'm concerned is if a referee can watch six, seven, eight, however many replays it is of an incident and get a decision so horribly wrong, then it makes me question whether they're actually giving decisions because they've seen something during a game or whether they're just getting the right decisions sometimes more by luck than judgment. And that's my concern. I mean, you know, there was the, like you mentioned, there was the incident in the Australia game. There was the incident in the Iran game. What possesses a referee there to feel that is an intentional handball. And I think this problem stems from what we see week in, week out in football, where that rule is not applied correctly, in my opinion. It's one of the rules in football that we can't seem to get right. Um, Harry, I mean, it's, it's truly baffling, isn't it, how certain referees can watch one thing and, and come up with such a completely different outlook to the rest of the general public? Yeah, I mean... When I was, I was, as I say, I was covering the, the Portugal game the other day, and the, the, the Suarez handball, I didn't think it was a penalty anyway. He didn't give it, mm. and then overturned it when he looked at it. And I'm thinking, uh, this is a question I was going to kind of ask too, so I'll just throw it out there. Do referees kind of feel under pressure if if they've been called over to the thing to the the, the mm. screen on the side of the pitch? Do they feel under pressure to give the? Do you think they feel under pressure to give the, the give the decision the way that VAR? suggesting or because because I, I do yeah. find that, that a lot of the time the referee is just making the decision maybe because they've been told to rather than sticking to their own guns which is not really the point of VAR. VAR is like another assistant as it, as it is in the name rather than actually supposed to be refereeing the game himself. I think I think you're absolutely spot on. Uh, you know at the end of the day I think the referee's got a lot of he's under a lot of pressure anyway it's a World Cup game uh, it shouldn't be, but it, but it's naturally uh, natural to be under pressure in that situation. Some referees, when they're under pressure, really do perform extremely well. I, I think that um, you know you, you're refereeing the game, you've made a decision. It's not handball. It's not a penalty kick. Then somebody's bleating in your ear. Hey, that's handball. You better come and have a look at the screen. He's going across the screen. He's got two sets of players. Who are, who are arguing um, at, at him? He gets to a screen, and now he's putting himself under a time pressure because everybody wants the decision quickly. And the added, if you like, difficulty here is that he's seeing it slow motion often. Now I'll tell you, I can pull a cat out of a bag or a rabbit out of a hat any time. When you look at things slow motion, they often don't give you the clarity that you're looking for. They often confuse. Now, what we see in rugby is that when we have that tight call, uh, perhaps a player on player fairly roughly, I've, I've heard the top rugby union referees, who I really admire, um, suddenly saying, look, play me that full speed. Play me that natural speed, normal speed, whatever comment they make. And then they come away and they go, that's rugby. And I think sometimes the, the referee's got to stand by his original decision. It's not a gut, gut instinct. He's seen it. He's very experienced. If he's got it wrong, then 
then just move on. Let's get the right call. But uh, there are times when the VAR has come in, there's no need to come in, and we've finished, finished up with the wrong call. Now, I know the percentages are small in that area, but they're magnified by everybody looking at it in the media and saying and, and making their own judgment in relation to what's a foul, what's not a foul, what's a red card, what's not a red card, and why that player should be yellow carded and, and why it's handball. And, and I do, you're absolutely right. The handball offence for a referee is easy. If he sees it, it's easy. The criteria, again, I'll, I'll just reiterate it. Ball to hand not, is not. The hand movement has to be towards the ball. It, it's got to be an act that's deliberate. So therefore, when a ball is snapped, a snap kick, and it's a bit of a surprise, and it hits the player on the underarm, that can't be a, de- a deliberate act, and therefore it should not be awarded either as a penalty kick or a handball offence free kick if it's outside the area. And so it's a simple law, but it's complicated. Um, my referee is not consistently applying it, generally, and the media having difficulty because their view often is if the ball strikes anywhere in the hand or arm, it's got to be a penalty kick. Yeah. No, it's not in law. Yeah, that's completely right, and it's completely spot on. And when I have these debates with people, I often refer them to the rules, like a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a nerd. But I, I pull up the laws of the game and I just send them a screenshot of it because it drives me crazy when someone is arguing against something that's clearly written in black and white. Now, another issue that we've yeah. seen a couple of times during this World Cup is we've seen penalties that should have been given, not even looked at by the referee. And I, one that comes to mind is Argentina in their first game, I believe, against Iceland. I felt there was a foul on Pavon, I think it was, inside the penalty area. And the, the, the VAR didn't even get the referee to have a look at that. That is frustrating as well, isn't it? Because you're looking at certain decisions and then it, it, there's no consistency. Surely the VAR should be pulling that up, no? Yes, I think that, it, it you know, for me, that that's one. That, that, there's been a few where... That said, well, okay, the referee's got a view. We're going to go with the referee, and we're not going to get we're not going to get involved. And I find that rather surprising. And you know, you've mentioned simulation. We've seen clear acts of simulation, and we were told, hey, those would be punished, and VAR would help that process. Um, so, so therefore, I think that my my real concerns are that the VAR is still on the learning curve, and it's got to be a sharp learning curve, steep learning curve to get a greater degree of accuracy and they have to come in when you've got the wrestling and the, the order of Harry Kane being like sumo wrestle to the ground. I mean, it's not even iffy um, and he can't even go for the ball. And, and the referee's gone through this nonsense procedure of going in and saying, I'm here, I'm watching you, I'm, I'm doing it and all that. We've only seen one referee have the, the real, if you like, courage to point to the spotlight Mike Dean did last year in the, in the Premier League and got slated for it to say, right, I'm penalising it. And what we need is referees as a whole to penalise those offences. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, guys, Can just, I raise an, yeah. an, another point? Because of course. there's some real positives here. I mean, I think I think we, we need to highlight in this World Cup is the quality of the play that we've seen. 
a fantastic goal. And from a refereeing perspective, 44 games played so far, 147 yellow cards. That's an average at 3.3, which is about the level of the Premier League and well below what we see in other parts of the world, because normally the average is towards five per game. And the outcome of that is a lot of red cards. We've only had today three red cards in this World Cup. So there are there are some positives. And one of the things that I said about VAR, when it was ter- first thought about, when it started to be looked to introduce into the game, I said it would act as a deterrent. I think it is. I think I think there are players out there suddenly beginning to take a little bit of care in terms of what they do and how they do it on the field of play, and that's helping referees. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Completely agree. Harry, how have you found the World Cup in general from football in terms? Have you enjoyed it so far? Um, who do you think has been the standout team? Um, and, and how do you see it unfolding? Um, I've really enjoyed the World Cup, first of all. I think it's been really good. I think this, this drama is uh, helped by VAR in the most part. Um, but mainly on the pitch as well in terms of the football, it's been fantastic. Uh, standout teams, I don't think any of the big sides, the, the ones that you expect to go all the way, have really shone. Um, particularly, I think France are, are getting there and, and, and I think they could... If they find the right system, they could really sort of hit hit the ground running further on in the tournament. Um, Brazil are the same kind of thing; they just haven't quite found that that next batch, if you like, yet. Um, Spain, we thought, was were great, and then they were pretty terrible uh, against uh, Morocco. So I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I said Brazil, and I think Brazil and France can uh, can, as I say, push on a little bit later on, but. I think the World Cup's been, been fantastic and, and and I'm really looking forward to seeing how the knockout stages go because I think that it could be a, a chance for a Uruguay or possibly even an England or someone like that in the in the sort of maybe the, the tier below the top side to really make a push late on into the tournament. Yeah, fair point, fair point. Keith, what have you made of England so far? How far do you think they can go? Well, I have to tell you, I'll, I'll be honest, that, you know, I thought that uh, we, were, we were a bit young and perhaps not well prepared and and that we might be lucky to get out of the, uh, the, 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 the sort of into the playoffs, out of the league system. Uh, I've, I've been surprised by how well they've done. Um, I mean, we know the, the standout players. We, we, my, my fears were around defence. And yeah. pace, and I, and I think, in fairness, Gareth Southgate over the last three months has really got them together as a team, and I think I think they're going in, and I'm 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 now a big fan. I'm 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 there, <laughs> like everybody else, either in a pub waving or screaming at the television, <laughs> wanting them to do well, and and I, I just think that we've captured it. I don't think the expectations were high. I think they're growing now, and the pressure will come. Um, but, you know, I've been impressed with Southgate as a manager. I was when he was at Middlesbrough, to be honest. I've seen him uh, in the Premier League operate, deep thinker, very technical, um, very good man-manager. And I think I think he's brought the players together. And, and whatever we do in this World Cup, I think it's been successful because we're now 
clearly understanding that you have to develop the teams and the teams have to come through the under-19s, under-20s and whatever. This is how Brazil operate. They'll, they'll, they'll play at under-17 level. Uh, they'll play under-19, under-20. They'll go to the Olympic Games. And what you find is, and I, you know, my own experience of refereeing them out in Mexico as, as the under-19s and then later in Seoul in Korea, it was almost the identical team. They grow the team through the competitions. And I think we're beginning to do that. And there's some fresh names coming through now that uh, are very exciting. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I agree with you on the Gareth Southgate point. I think he's been brilliant. I think he's handled the media fantastically well. Um, I think the system he's picked works really well. Again, I share the fear about sort of pace at the back. Um, but I think he's addressed that by putting Kyle Walker in as one of the, the centre-halves. And I think that's the thinking mm. behind that because we all know that he's not naturally uh, the most solid of defenders. Is that a fair way to put it? Um, Harry, yeah. what, are you, what are your feelings on, on tonight's game against Belgium? Because it's a bit of a funny situation, isn't it? It seems as though neither side particularly wants to top the group now. Is this a problem in the format of the tournament? I think it's a win-win situation. If, if England win the game, then they win the group. And I think, despite the possibility of facing uh, Brazil in the quarterfinals, that's always a, a, a thing that you, you always want to win games and win and get the mm. best results. But if we if we don't win the if we don't win the game, we, we finish second, then we might have a better route through to the to the um, to the last stages. So I think I, I'm I'm kind of going into it quite open-minded about whichever one happens. It's quite a nice feeling to have. I hope that um, Southgate doesn't overdo the changes. I think it's fair enough to to, uh, to bring some players in, like uh, you know, maybe a Phil Jones or a, or a Danny Rose. But I'd love to see how he came to start and and get a few get on the score sheet after his five goals in the top goal in the Gold group race, but I think I'd be quite upset if I was him if I didn't start that game. Um, but yeah, I think I think I completely agree with everything that's been said about Southgate. I think everything he says makes sense. Everything he does has made sense as well. Um, which is, I don't think you can say with a lot of what Roy Hodgson was doing, what even that Ben and Patello. Every time he was questioning something, and, and there haven't been many things that I've, I found myself questioning maybe the odd team selection, but I think what he's done has been fantastic. So whatever happens tonight, I, I'm confident that England can, can make a good go of it in the knockout stages, I think, um, especially if we can keep playing um, fit and fire and looking for that golden boot. Yep. Excellent. Let's, let's see what happens. Well, I, I was, I was asked, I, yeah, I, I mean, I was asked a question about the, the teams and it, you know, some months ago and, I'd, I'd seen Belgium a couple of times live, and I, I, I just thought that they were going to be strong contenders in this World Cup with the with the quality and experience of the players they've got. So tonight, for me, I, I just hope that Southgate puts out a strong team, and, and Harry Kane is there, and uh, he, he puts a few past them because um, I think he sets a fantastic example to all the kids that play football. Um, here, here is a, if you like, a normal kid who's come through, worked hard, developed his game, practiced regularly, 
says very little that one can disagree with when he comes on television. Um, and I think it's just great that we've got an England captain that doesn't go over the top, doesn't um, do unnecessary things. He just concentrates on the game. And I think this is true at the moment of the England team. I think we're not getting this, oh, there's a difficulty off the pitch. They've, they've had problems here, there and everywhere. I think that um, Southgate and I mentioned Steve Holland, um, who are very experienced, have done a fantastic job with this team. No question. Yeah, no, completely agree. And I I agree with you. I feel that he should pick a strong team. I think it will give him an indication of where this team is really at um, because I don't want to take anything away from England, but the two opponents they've played in the opening two games are not very strong, in my opinion, particularly mm. Panama, who were more of a wrestling team than a football team, um, in my opinion. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how England fare against stronger opposition. I expect Belgium to make some changes too. Um, and going back to your point on Belgium, Keith, they are a really, really strong squad of players. My only mm. fear about Belgium is I don't particularly rate Roberto Martinez um, that highly. I think he's got the right idea. I think he likes to play an exciting, entertaining brand of football. But I question his ability to, to be tactically astute when it really is necessary in those big games. And, and, and that's my fear for them. So it'd be interesting to see how this one mm. unfolds. And, where, where I made the point about the format of the tournament, and Harry, I don't know what you think about this. Would you agree with something where the group winners are seeded and then we have a draw for the round of 16 as opposed to it all being mapped out the way it is? I know there's a logistics issue, but it just feels to me like it spoils the last round of games sometimes. I understand that completely. I think there's two things that spoil the last round of games. One is that teams can... Um, decide among themselves not to really push forward much. You know, there was a whole big thing in Europe 2004 with Italy. Um, they weren't happy that uh, that Denmark and Sweden played the last day and two years ago and knocked them out. And it was Denmark and France last week. They, they neither of them looked like there was at all interested in pushing through because the point would get them exactly what they wanted. So that's one side. That's the problem. Mm. The other one is exactly is exactly that. Teams can pick and choose what you know if, if they if, if if they can sense a better route through by finishing second, which which should which shouldn't really happen. To think about it, it's designed to make it tougher if you finish second. But these things happen, um, and it, it 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 is quite strange. So I I, I don't know. Whether the answer, what I couldn't give you the answer of what they should do, but I do think that there is a bit of a problem. Like you said, I do agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Right, guys, that brings us to the end of the show. I want to thank you both so much for taking the time out um, to join me this morning. I know you've both got really busy schedules, and um, Keith, thank you. Harry, thank you. And, uh, we'll be back thank very soon. You're welcome. Anytime, thank guys, you. and we'll be back very, very soon. Once again, I want to say a huge thank you to all our listeners. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. You can follow both our shows on Twitter at SofaSportsPod and at Chronicles underscore AFC. I'd just like to apologize for some sound issues that we had during that recording. Um, unfortunately, that's the trouble when you decide to record on the road. Uh, but such is the nature of my schedule. There was no other alternative. So I do apologize once again for any breakups in the sound that you may have heard. Um, but we'll be back very soon. 
with more.